Well, good morning, everyone. It is a delight for us to be here at Hope Baptist Church. We are just thrilled to be part of your missions conference this year. It's a great honor for us. We love this place. We love your pastor and his family. And uh, I, I laughed a little bit this morning. I spoke to uh, Pastor Outler's mother, and she said, the kids have been looking forward to you coming. And uh, I said, I think you're talking about Pastor and Mrs. Outler, aren't you? She said, yeah, they're my kids. That's all. They've always been my kids. So, uh, But we're so delighted to be here. We really are. And um, Lord willing, tonight I'll give you a brief update on Worldview Ministries. There's some great things going on. I do have some booklets with me. I see some of them are, have already been taken. That's great. And uh, there's just a few more left over there. We flew in, so we couldn't bring a whole, a whole bunch of things. But I can get some more to you if, you, if you'd like one and, and we run out. I'll, I'll send some more when I get back home. Open your Bible, please, to John chapter 20. <clears throat> John chapter 20. And I want to preach a message this morning that will kick off the theme of our missions conference entitled, Sent by Jesus. Uh, the theme of the conference, as you can see, is sent by Jesus into the harvest field. And we're going to focus on the sending nature of our Lord. And uh, I believe this is a very powerful thought from Scripture. Uh, and as we develop it, I hope God will use it to speak to your heart in a very specific and direct way. Let's begin with a word of prayer. We'll read a couple of verses. I'll introduce the message and we'll go from there. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you again for the privilege of being part of this conference at this wonderful church. Uh, we love being here. We believe you're doing a great work here, and we're honored to be part of what you're doing in this place. Please use these thoughts. I pray for clarity of mind. I pray for clarity from the Scripture and from the Holy Spirit to each one of us individually today, and may we respond as you would have us respond. Lord, wherever along this message and these thoughts as they're given, wherever you speak to us and whatever you say, may we be willing to obey it. And I pray in the dear name of Jesus. Amen. John chapter 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. There are five commissions the Lord gave, all taking place between the resurrection day and the ascension of our Lord. During that 40-day period, five different times the Lord gave a command to the disciples and to us that had something to do with reaching the world. They're not all the same. If I were to ask this morning, where is the Great Commission found in the Bible? No doubt I would hear Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. If I pressed a little further, no doubt I would hear Acts 1.8, that ye shall receive power. But I believe you know this. There are five times the Lord spoke. Each one of them is worded differently. Each one of them has a particular aspect of emphasis, a, a, an aspect of the mission that God wanted the disciples to understand so that they could fully grasp the totality of the mission. If all Jesus had said was, go ye therefore and teach all nations, well, that's pretty simple. That gives us a partial understanding of his 
mission in this world if all he had said was, uh, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That would give us another partial aspect uh, or understanding of the mission that God wants to send us on, but there are five of them. If I could give them to you very quickly this morning, go back to John chapter 20, verse 1, and I'll look at the first one with you. Uh, then the first day, I'm sorry, verse, chapter 20, verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher. So what is happening here, uh, and she saw the stone taken away. So this is resurrection day. You all are with me on the context here, I, I assume, right? So this is resurrection day. Mary comes to the tomb. She ran to get uh, Simon Peter and John. They come back and they find the empty tomb. Later in the chapter, you're going to find, starting in verse 11, Mary's standing there weeping and Jesus actually appeared to her. And after that encounter, she went running back to the disciples again to tell them she had seen the risen Lord. And then we read in verse 19 of this chapter, then the same day at evening. So here's what I'm trying to establish. The, the, the five commissions are given in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John but they're, and, and Acts, but they're not given by the Lord in that chronological order. So this is Resurrection Day, and John 20, 21, that's the commission in the Gospel of John. This is the first one, and it happens on Resurrection Day. So here's what we call John 20, 21. We call it the sender, and that's going to be our focus this morning. Could I very briefly give you the other four and the chronology of them, and I would encourage you to further study this on your own. Mark 16, 15 is the second time the Lord gave the commission, and that happens about eight days after this. And Thomas is there that time. You can find the scripture. You can compare all of that and figure that out. So about eight days after the resurrection, and we call that the scope of the mission, because Mark 16, 15 says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So whatever we're being sent to do involves all the world and every creature. That sounds like a pretty big task, doesn't it? The third time the Lord gave the commission is Matthew 28. And this one takes place on a mountain in Galilee about two weeks after the second one. And it is believed that it's the same mountain where Jesus gave the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. It is also believed that this is when, or this is what Paul is referencing when he says in 1 Corinthians 15, last of all, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. That's a reference Paul made to the risen Lord as he's writing to the church at Corinth. So on this mountain with over 500 people present, according to the Apostle Paul, is Matthew 28, 19, and we call that one the strategy. The strategy, because it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, and then verse 20 says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So here we are so far. You ready? We're sent by Jesus into all the world and to every creature, and our strategy is disciple-making. We're not just evangelists. We are evangelists. We are bearers and proclaimers of the good news, but we're disciple-makers. The fourth time the Lord gave the commission is in, uh, in Luke 24, and this happens uh, just a day or so before the last one in Acts 1-8. So this one has to do with the subject of the mission, because Luke 24, 47 says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And the fifth one is Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, part of the earth. So this is the Spirit. 
behind the Great Commission. Now, when you put these five commissions together, you have what we call the Great Commission. Now, let me give it to you in one sentence, all right? Here's the summary of the whole thing. We are sent by Jesus Christ into all the world and to every creature to make disciples by the preaching of the gospel in the power of the Spirit. That's a great comprehensive look at the Great Commission, isn't it? Now, you can see how if you take each one, any one of those elements out, you, you don't quite get the full picture. And that's what Jesus was trying to do with the disciples. I believe John and his commission in chapter 20, verse 21, is probably the most often overlooked and most underemphasized of the five. But it is the foundational level of what Jesus wanted the disciples to understand. The word sent in all of its forms, or the word send in all of its forms, is found almost 60 times in the 21 chapters of the Gospel of John. I have two main points for you with some subpoints, so we're not getting out in 10 minutes. Hang on with me for just a little while, okay? Here's main point number one. Very simple outline. Number one, Jesus was sent by God the Father. Jesus was sent by God the Father. As my Father hath sent me. That's a pretty powerful phrase, isn't it? The word sent is the word apostolo in the Greek, from which you can imagine we would get the word apostle. This word sent is found 123 times in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. This word has the idea of being officially sent on a mission. Listen to this. Here's the, here's the main trait or the main part of this meaning with unquestionable authority behind it. Being sent with unquestionable authority behind it. Fifteen times of the, diff, of the 123 times this word is used uh, 15 times in the, in the book of John, it is always Jesus speaking in relation to God's sending of himself, indicating that Jesus knew the clear authority behind his mission. Jesus knew, I was sent here by my Father. Now, notice the two different uh, forms of the word, as, the Father, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And we'll come back to this in a little while, but this is the word pimpo, and that found, that's found 50 times in the Gospels and the book of Acts, and 24 times in John, and here's the meaning behind that. It has to do with the sending process and the relationship of the sender to the sent one. So here's what's being very clearly communicated in this verse. We are sent on a mission with unquestionable authority behind it, and we have a relationship with the one who sent us. And what's being communicated here clearly is that we are sent by Jesus, you and I, just like Jesus was sent by the Father. Now, this is not the only time you find this, this, this phraseology. In John 17, verse 18, Jesus said, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. So just as Jesus had the unquestionable authority of God the Father behind him, we have the unquestionable authority of Jesus Christ behind us. And just as Jesus had a pure and clean relationship with God the Father, you and I have a similar relationship with Jesus Christ through salvation, through the substitutionary atonement of his death on the cross of Calvary. Are you with me so far? So let's consider the mission of Jesus. 
if he says, as my Father sent me, that's how I'm sending you. We need to take a look at the mission of Jesus and see what kind of mission we need to be on because the mission he was on is the mission we're to be on. Are you ready? Number one, let's talk about the purpose of his mission. The purpose of his mission. We, we could go a lot of different directions here. Because the Bible says he came to, if I, and if I were to take a survey, why did Jesus come to this earth? I'm pretty sure the first, the first response I would get from most of you is, Jesus came here to die for us. And while that's a true statement, that doesn't explain it all. You could go to the scripture and find in 1 John, I think it is, where Jesus, the Bible says Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You can go to Romans chapter 5 and find that Jesus came to be the second Adam and, and restore what the first Adam lost. You can go to other places in the scripture and find that, that Jesus came to restore man to his original intent and purpose. But I want to distill this down to its very essence, and I want to give you two reasons Jesus came to this earth. Reason number one, he came to glorify the Father. Jesus came to glorify the Father. He came to reveal to us his Father. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, and the Word was made flesh, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in John 17, uh, 1, Jesus said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. And in verse 4 of that high priestly prayer, Jesus said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I want this to be your answer. When someone says, why did Jesus come to this earth? I want this to be your answer. He came here to show us the Father. When, when Philip came to Jesus in John chapter 8, I think it is, and said, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you and yet thou hast not known me? We read the text in our Sunday school class earlier this morning where Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Jesus came to show us the Father. Colossians 1 says that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says that he is the express image of the person of God. Jesus came to reveal and to glorify God the Father. For every facet of his earthly mission, his ultimate motive and objective was the glory of God. He had consecrated his whole being to the honor of his Father. That passion completely governed his earthly life. Every word, every thought, every deed was intensely focused on bringing glory and honor to his Father. And in Revelation 7 verse 9 and many other passages in the book of Revelation, you find that the culmination of all of history is that we will all be gathered around the throne with every kindred, tribe, and tongue giving glory to God the Father. Everything God does is primarily for His own glory. That includes the good things that happen to you. That includes the bad things that happen to you. That includes the joys that come into your life, and that includes the sorrows that come into your life. Everything God does is for primarily for His own glory. And the sending of His Son was primarily for His own glory. 
Jesus came to this earth so that we would look at Jesus and say, God the Father is a wonderful, glorious God. There's a second purpose, though. We spoke of it a moment ago. He came here to reconcile men to God. Now, how is he going to do that? Well, he's going to do that through the death of his uh, through his own death on the cross of Calvary. For uh, Luke 19:10, the Bible says, "For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost." John 10:10, 10, 10, "I am come that they might have life." How did Christ reconcile men to God? By laying down his own life for us. Matthew 1:21, "Thou shalt call his name Jesus." for he shall save his people from their sins. So Jesus' primary purpose was the glory of God, and his secondary purpose was the reconciliation of men to God, the redemption of man. Now, truthfully, both of those focus into one single purpose. Listen to this carefully. Jesus came to this world, was sent to this world, to glorify God, by bringing men back into fellowship with God. Do you know the greatest thing we can do to glorify God? You might say, well, we can sing songs and praise Him. That's a wonderful thing to do. We can, we can praise Him in our praying. We can glorify Him, and we can praise Him with our giving, and we can praise Him through the preaching of His Word, and we can praise Him through sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. There's lots of ways we can offer praise to God, but you know how He receives the most glory? When a lost sinner made in his image is brought back into a reconciled relationship with him and begins to reflect back to God the glory that God is worthy of. So this is all one single purpose, isn't it? Jesus came to reveal God and glorify him by bringing sinners back into the family so they can glorify God. Let me summarize the coming of Jesus then and his purpose. Jesus came to this earth to reveal and glorify God and lay down his life to bring men to God. Let's talk about the characteristics of the mission of Jesus. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. You don't need to turn there. I'll quote it for you if you'll listen. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Characteristic number one of Jesus' mission, you have to use this word, humility. It says it twice in that passage, or it says it emphatically in that passage. He humbled himself. Could there be a greater humbling than leaving heaven to come to this earth? Could there be a greater humbling than the God of the universe, the God who spoke and the world was created and formed, leaving his throne in heaven and coming down to become a man? Could there be a greater humbling? He sat on a throne, but he was born in a manger. The universe rested on his shoulders. Colossians says that he sustains all things. But he was carried as a baby in Mary's arms. His hands put the stars in place, but he worked in a carpenter shop. He carved out the oceans, but he asked a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. He was praised by multitudes of heavenly hosts, but he was mocked 
and ridiculed and crucified by those he came to save. There is no greater example of humility. There is no greater example of suffering and sacrifice. He laid aside that to which he was divinely entitled for the sake of glorifying his Father and bringing men back to God. Humility. Second characteristic of his mission, obedience. We find that in Philippians 2 there. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. John 8, 29 says, And he that sent me is with me. And I encourage you, as you read through the Gospel of John from this day forward, would you underline every time you see this word send or sent, because it's all through the Gospel of John. As he that has sent me, I'm sorry, and he that hath sent me, John 8, 29, is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. Listen, for I do always those things that please him. Everything Jesus did on this earth was meant to be in full obedience with his Father's will. I can do nothing of myself, Jesus said one time, but the will of him that sent me. His own testimony reveals that he walked in perfect harmony and perfect obedience to his Father's will. I don't quite understand the phrase in Hebrews, so after I leave, your pastor can preach on it. But the Bible says Jesus learned obedience through his suffering. But there's no question about this, this characteristic. He came here in humility, humbling himself, and he came in full and complete and perfect obedience to his Father. The third characteristic of Jesus' coming is suffering. I believe Isaiah speaks most powerfully to what Jesus endured in Isaiah 53 when he was despised and rejected, verse 3. He bore our griefs, verse 4. He was wounded, bruised, chastised, beaten, uh, beaten in verse 5. He was oppressed and afflicted in verse 7. And our iniquity was laid upon him in verse 6. He suffered all of this for our peace and our healing, verse 5. And what was his response to all of this suffering? According to Isaiah, he opened not his mouth. Jesus never objected to what he suffered because he knew that his suffering would bring glory to his Father and bring you back into the family of God, would make possible for you to be redeemed and reconciled to the glory of God. He knew that it pleased the Father. Isaiah 53.10 says, For it pleased God to bruise him. It pleased God to bruise him. And he did all that. He endured all of that suffering without opening his mouth with a word of objection. Characteristic number four, commitment. At age 12, Jesus knew his mission, and he was committed to it. I personally think he knew before age 12. We don't have anything in Scripture to prove that. But at least we do know by age 12, he knew exactly why he was here on this earth, didn't he? He said to his mother when they lost him in Jerusalem, remember they came for the feast, and, and they went back home, and three days later they realized their son wasn't with them. I don't know if uh, sometimes parents try to get rid of their kids, but, you know, my parents moved five times when I was a kid, but I always found them, you know what I mean? But for three days, they didn't know Jesus was missing, and when they came back, they found him in the temple conversing with the doctors and the lawyers, and here's what he said to his mom. Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Jesus knew his mission, and he was absolutely and totally committed to it. 
Luke 24, or Luke 2:49 is where we find that. Wish ye not that I must be about my Father's business. John 6:38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. John 9:4. I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. Night cometh when no man can work. So from beginning to end, Jesus was committed to the mission. Characteristic number five of the mission of Jesus is death. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, Philippians 2, 5 and following, even the death of the cross. We sang a Christmas cantata when I pastored in Ohio several years ago. Uh, we had a Christmas cantata entitled, Born to Die. And Jesus was born to die. There's no simpler way to put it. Jesus didn't come down here to take up residence permanently. He came down here to live a temporary but sinless, perfect life in full obedience and humility before his Father to glorify his Father, and he came here to lay down his life for your salvation. What a mission. He humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. So humility, obedience, suffering, commitment, and death. Now, point number two, main point number two, we are sent by Jesus Christ. We've looked at Jesus being sent by God the Father. We've looked at the purpose of his mission to glorify God by reconciling men to God. We've looked at the characteristics of his mission. Now we need to transfer this mission from Jesus being sent by the Father to us being sent by Jesus Christ. And this is the foundational level of understanding the mission of God in this world. We, all of us, are sent by Jesus Christ. Nobody in this room would question, I, I, I'm 100% I'm, I'm sure this is true, nobody in this room would question the truth and, and the reality that there was an eternal plan which included Jesus Christ coming to this earth, right? This wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision. God didn't come up with this idea somewhere along the way. God knows all things. And this was an eternal plan that, that included Jesus coming here to glorify his Father and die for us. Can you also accept that this eternal plan included the sending of you into this world for the mission of God? Well, if we think it, it was in God's mind to send Jesus, then we have to believe it was in God's mind for Jesus to send us. He knows all things. We are sent with the same authority and purpose. We are sent with the same relationship to our sender that Jesus had to his sender. Look at the text again with me, please, in verse 21. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. The word as literally means in like manner. In like manner. We're sent with the same authority. The authority behind us is Jesus. The authority behind Jesus was God the Father. This means that neither our right or duty to be fully engaged in the mission of God could ever be questioned. The authority has commanded it. The phrase, even so, the, the two little words, even so, denotes a transfer. So here's what it means. Let me put the two words together. We are sent in the same manner and for the same purpose. Practically, what does that mean? It means our lives are to look just like Jesus. His purpose is our purpose. His passion is our passion. His mission is our mission. His reason, his reason for coming to this earth 
is our reason for being on this earth. Together, these convey the same authority, the same manner, and the same purpose. And I want to declare emphatically to you, everybody in this room, looking right into my eyes, I want you to hear this. You have been sent by Jesus Christ into this world. You have no liberty to choose whether you are on mission with God. You may have some liberty to choose where it is and what aspect of ministries it might include, but you have no liberty to say, I don't want to be on that mission. You have no liberty to say, I'd like something else. Give me a different plan. Obedience to the Great Commission has never been restricted to a few selected, gifted, called, equipped people. It's for every one of us. We are all sent ones. The word we looked at earlier is the word apostello. The word missionary is not found in the text of Scripture, but the word behind it is the word apostello, which literally means sent one. We are all sent ones. You may choose a particular field of service, but you do not choose whether or not you are sent. Sent by Jesus Christ to be on mission with God, and any missionary who was officially ordained and sent out by a local church may have the assistance and the authority of that local church behind him, but long before that church ordained him, God is the authority which sent him into this world. So you may have a vocation. I believe our Sunday school teacher, Brother Rick, right? Brother Rick, you're a surgeon. I, I, no, you're a doctor. Okay, I messed that all up. I don't know what this guy does, really. Uh, but, but you may... <laughs> I picked on him in Sunday school. I'm sorry. I'll leave you alone from now on. Uh, you may have a vocation. You may be a lawyer. You may be a doctor. Uh, you may be a, an engineer. You may be a construction worker, a factory worker, an office worker. It doesn't matter what your vocation is, and it doesn't matter what your location is. You've been sent by Jesus on mission. You're not here for doctoring and lawyering and engineering. You're here to be on mission with God. That can support and help what you're doing, but this is, the, this is the fact of the matter. We have been sent by Jesus as he was sent into this world. So now, we looked at the purpose of Jesus' mission and the characteristics of Jesus' mission, and I made it pretty clear it's the same thing for us. So would you like to guess the purpose of our mission? To glorify God and reconcile men to God. Let's look at those briefly. Um, as thou hast sent me into the world, Jesus said, I quoted earlier, so have I also sent them into the world. Jesus was sent for the glory of the Father. We're sent to glorify God the Father. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. John Stott said, the highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, but rather zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. You know what we're supposed to be living our lives for? His glory. We ought to be asking ourselves all the time, how am I, how am I, how am I bringing glory to God? Does this choice I'm about to make bring glory to God? Does the way I'm behaving among my coworkers, does that bring glory to God? Because if everything God does is primarily for His own glory, 
and he sent his son into this world to glorify him, and Jesus sent us into this world to glorify him, shouldn't that be an uppermost motive in our hearts? Shouldn't that be a dominant theme of our living, our decision-making? We're sent to glorify God. And number two, we're here to reconcile men to God. We're sent to, here it is, this is where rubber's going to meet the road. We're sent to glorify God by laying down our lives to bring men to God. That's why Jesus came. Now, you and I can't die for their sins because we're not sinless. We can't offer ourselves as their substitute. But we can offer our lives, our time, our money, our, our finances, our priorities. We can set our lives in such a way that we are on mission with God. And all of those things take precedence. Uh, everything in our life takes precedence uh, because we're here to glorify Him. What does this mission look like in our lives? Let's look at the characteristics. Would you like to guess what the characteristics of our mission should be? Here they are, same as Jesus. So let's walk through them very quickly for us, and then we'll, we'll bring this to a close. Humility. You know it's not about us. It's about Him. God doesn't owe us a comfortable life. Now, I could park here for a long time, and I won't, but we have come to expect a, a great level of comfort in our lives, have we not? Can I tell you the, the, the thing that's rising to the surface right now? You don't know what I'm talking about, but the thing that's rising to the surface right now in our country is the level of persecution against God's people. The level of intolerance to your spiritual biblical opinion, right? And you know what, you know what the average person would do if we, if we do this without thinking about the, the spiritual implications of all this? Here's what we would say. I have a right to practice my religion. Because the Constitution says Congress shall make no law restricting religious freedom or, or, or the free exercise thereof. And I didn't quote that right. But we have come to expect that as a right. I have a right to religious freedom. Do you know Jesus never gave us that right? You know our Lord and Master? Our Lord and Master said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. We need to humble ourselves, listen, to accept whatever requirements and conditions are necessary to help us carry out the mission. And I want you to hear this statement. God didn't save you to give you a comfortable life. He saved you to give his mission greater impact. That's something to think on for a while, isn't it? He didn't save me to make my life comfortable. He saved me to make his mission more powerful. Humility and sacrifice are partners in the life of one fully engaged in mission, on mission with God, and that ought to loosen our grip on the comforts of this life. It should eliminate this long list of things we feel we have a right to. So am I willing to lay aside my rights for the sake of His mission? Am I willing to forsake all preconceived notions of what my life should look like? See, some of us would say, oh, certainly I'm willing to follow God, but here's how I think that should go. Am I willing to lay aside all my preconceived ideas and just say, okay, Lord, I'm following you. I'm on mission with you. I'm humbling myself to whatever's necessary or whatever's required of me. Am I willing to do whatever he asks and go wherever he leads? How about obedience? In the same way Jesus walked with the Father, our lives ought to be in complete harmony with Jesus Christ. The priority of the gospel ought to be visible in our lives. People ought to be able to look at us and know the purpose we're living for. Am I living to glorify Him? 
Am I seeking to bring men to God? Am I sharing the gospel of Christ? Am I obedient to my sender? Does my life look like a life in harmony with the commands and principles and precepts of the Word of God and of Jesus Christ? Humility and obedience, suffering. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. 1 Peter 2.21. 1 Peter 4.1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, listen to this very carefully, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Surrounded by the comforts and conveniences of modern affluence, the theology of suffering is a much neglected doctrine. But Jesus expected and willingly endured such suffering, and he taught his disciples that the same would come to them. I got ahead of myself quoting this a moment ago, but listen to this, these verses. John 15, verse 20 and 21. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But all these things, listen, will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Am I armed with a mind to suffer? Can I endure suffering for the sake of His glory? Can I withstand criticism, persecution, and hardships, expecting that to be part of the life of one who is on mission with God? Can I loosen my mental grip on the comforts of life I've taken for granted? Would I follow God if He led me to a nation that would require lifestyle and cultural adjustment? Would I follow God if he led me to a place in this world where my life would be in danger? Would my passion for his mission and my obedience to the sending of my Savior cause me to 